Each or every word bring praise to the Lord Jesus only. Would you find uh, in your Bibles, as the lights come on, you can find the Old Testament book of Ezra. We're in our fourth uh, part of sharing uh, these uh, verses here in Ezra. It's been our book for January, and uh, we're going to be in it today. If you've not read all of Ezra, man, you've got two or three days before the end of the month, but you could read it anytime time uh, as well. And uh, we're glad to see you. Today, well, I know you're out there. I believe I can see lights will come on. I know here in just a moment as well. Thank you to our praise band. Thank you for leading us in worship. We appreciate uh, Aaron and his leadership in our praise band. And let me just go ahead and say a word that uh, I want you to see if I can say this clearly. Aaron and the varsity singers of the public Auburn High School swept and did grand champions. Uh, that's the right term that we used on their presentation of Noah with the clear message that God is the giver of life and new beginnings. So all to God's glory. I think it's okay. Yeah. All to the glory of God. We appreciate that uh, certainly uh, as well. You, as you came in today and received your bulletin inside of that, there was an insert said something about several of the uh, mission trips that are coming up. may hear more about those in a little bit. But uh, So we're revealing some of those already been revealed, but several mission trips, a couple going to Alaska. Alaska is the uh, uh, most unreached uh, state in all of America. And uh, we've got a couple of groups that are going there. We've got a group that is uh, going to Denver. We have friends, North American Mission Board also, who are in Denver. And uh, so uh, we're going to be uh, seeking to join them. Some of these, we'll see if we have enough uh, and able to go to, uh, uh, to all of these places. We recognize, uh, got a group that... Uh, Part of the strength to stand going to Knoxville, Tennessee, not too far. Some of our younger people are going there, but if you want to go, be a part of that. I'm sure they're in need of chaperones. A couple of uh, international trips. One of those would be the country of Georgia. We have friends who have been in our church uh, that are in the country of Georgia serving with International Mission Board this summer. And then we're seeing if there's interest. We have other friends who are a part of outreach that is taking place at the Olympics in August. And so if there's interest, we're going to be perhaps being a part of outreach uh, there. Oh, there are people out here. Look there. I just think I'm talking to myself. But no, you're here and that's good. And so, uh, but there's going to be, there's some interest sheets in the foyer. Some of our staff be out there at the end of the service today. So if you're interested, you're not signing up, but you just have more interest, put, leave your name and email, phone number. We'll be sure to get you the information that you need. So hopefully be excited about how the Lord's going to be a part of our mission. We're in Ezra chapter 10, going to be reading verses 1 through 9, Ezra chapter 10. And uh, you will keep your Bibles open. Be looking at some more of the passages that are here found in Ezra. But this now is the Word of God. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 1. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shekaniah, the, the son of Jehiel, of the son of Elam, addresses Ezra. We've broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the people of the land, and even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra rose and made the leading priests and the Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would... Do as had been said, so they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God, went to the chamber of Johanan and the son of Elishib, where he spent the night, neither eating 
bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all of the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. That if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders and all his property should be forfeited, and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Verse 9 says this, that all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. It's okay already to maybe visualize what's taking place here. We'll talk more about this here in just a moment. All the people of God there at Jerusalem, there in the open courtyard before the temple, trembling because of this matter and as they stand in the heavy rain. This would have been a great verse for yesterday, but even now we can understand. Ezra is one of those surprise books I think that we find in the Bible. As you read in Esther, you didn't know there might be some stories there that you might be interested in or even the application that it might be able to make for today. Hopefully it will well up inside of you not only to read, study, and to make application for this book but for all of the Bible. We hopefully were setting the pace for 2024 that we're people of the book, that we want to be about the people of the book as we come in these doors and what we do in our homes and personally as well. If you're here today and you feel maybe a little intimidated that maybe you don't know as much about the Bible as you think that you should, can I tell you, come on and join our club. We've got t-shirts and a mascot. It is okay. But here's the good news. It is that we're on a lifetime quest to know more of God's Word. Not only that we might be able to know and have more knowledge of God's Word, but we might be in the Word so that we might know more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. January tends to be the coldest and the bluest month of the year. It simply is the coldest we recognize weather-wise. But when I say the bluest, Maybe, I mean, it can be the darkest time for a lot of people. After the holidays are over, maybe sometimes the bills have come in, short days and long nights, and sometimes it's just for a lot of people, it's just a days of depression or feeling less than satisfied with our lives. We've been doing a study on Wednesday night uh, with the title of Celebrating Who We Are Created to Be and Who We Are with Christ after becoming a believer in Jesus. We've done this purposefully at this time of year, maybe to be able to help. Satisfaction in this life is found only when we find satisfaction in Jesus alone. My prayer often is from, for, for you all, it's from 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16, as well as for myself. It is now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. Satisfaction in Christ alone is easier said, actually, than it is always felt or it is found or done. But it begins with seeking the face of God through His Word. You want to <clears throat> change your world, the world of those around you, this is how you do it. It begins with allowing God to change your heart. The title of this series is to welcome back home to worship. The Israelites had been in exile for 70 years because of their unfaithfulness. They've been in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had conquered the people, brought them to there in Babylon. Seventy years later, we find Cyrus, the Persian king, conquered Nebuchadnezzar, took over Babylon, and actually allowed the people to go back home to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, proclaimed, made even commission a remnant of Israel to go and to rebuild the temple so that they could be able to worship God in the way in which 
He was intended to be worshipped. Now, we spent the first three weeks of this four-part series walking with a remnant of God's people who rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, referred to sometimes as the second temple. The first temple is called Solomon's Temple. We traveled with them 900 miles from Babylon back to Jerusalem and Judah. They worshipped God when they arrived in Jerusalem on the very place where the temple had been burned to where it would be rebuilt. And then they began to rebuild or they laid the foundation of the temple and rejoice and worship at the opportunity to be involved in God's work. Then came some persecution. There came some those who were living in the area, some opposition. And they wanted to stop the building of the temple. The building of the temple was actually stopped for over 15 years. But with the preaching of the prophets of God that are mentioned in this book, like Haggai and Zechariah, the word of God and the spirit of God prompted the faithful remnant to complete the work. And four years later, it was completed. The purpose was not just the completion of the building, not just the completion of the temple, but it was so that they might be able to worship God and that they might have a real and a proper relationship with God in preparation for the events that would come with the birth of the Messiah. First six chapters of the book of Ezra is about the rebuilding of the temple and coming back home to worship God. Did you notice whose name is not mentioned in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra? It's the name Ezra. Now it's called Ezra because we believe that Ezra is the writer of this book and he certainly becomes mentioned, but his name's not mentioned until chapter 7. In fact, some of the writings that are written begin to be written in first person, like in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 1. If you got your Bibles, you might notice. It says, After these things have been done, the officials approached me and said, speaking about the things that were about to happen, it was some 50 years after the building of the temple that another Persian king sends Ezra the scribe and the, the scribe and a teacher with a second wave of Israelites to go back to Judah and Jerusalem. For those who were living in the promised land, those who had been faithful to build the temple, those same ones and some from a new generation, they had become unfaithful once again and they had been intermarried with the people of the land. In particular, the men had taken for their wives foreign women, which did already or would lead to idol worship. So it wasn't just one sin, but it was a change in worship for the people of Israel with national and spiritual consequences. And God raises up and he sends Ezra back to the people in Jerusalem and in Judah because there needed to be some changes in the world in which they live. Now, here's an Old Testament story. Whether we've drawn you in or not, I sure hope that we're able to today. But when you think about the world in which we live in today... Would you not agree that God needs to raise up individuals and needs to raise up a people who would change the world and change the hearts of people and turn people to God? So today, you've got your notes there. Today, if you're ready to see the world change, or today, if you're ready to change the world and change your own heart, let's learn some of these lessons from Ezra. Most of what we know about Ezra is in chapter 7 through 10 of Ezra. He's mentioned in Nehemiah and a couple of other places, but most of what we know are in these verses. So we're, we're simply going to do kind of a thumbnail sketch of Ezra and learn from him. And here's one of the first things. Changing the world and changing the heart has something to do with the Bible. It has something to do with the Bible. For these next few minutes, as we take a look at Ezra, we're going to learn about how God can change your heart so that we might be better used by God. 
Maybe you've heard the phrase before, the heart wants what the heart wants. Or maybe somebody told you, or you maybe told somebody else, or maybe when they graduated or trying to make a decision, say, you know what, you just follow your heart. Well, it sounds like good advice, doesn't it? Only problem is the Bible tells us that the heart is deceptive, it's deceitful and wicked, unless it is a heart that is in tune and being ruled by the Lord Jesus. Bible also says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, how can it be? How can it be that if our heart is wicked, the Lord would give us the desires of, the, of our heart? It is because that once you begin to delight in the heart, delight in the Lord, that the Lord changes your heart. It is true that our desires change. You may know that because you've experienced it already. Well, how can we be intentional and submit to the Lord and allow him to make the changes that need to be made so that we can be part of the world changers because as followers of Jesus, we're called to be world changers. In Ezra, during that time, God's people, particularly the men, they had a heart for the foreign women and for their false worship. Already, hopefully, you're catching the seriousness of this turning away from God. Let's, let's learn from Ezra. Ezra shows up in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to go to that particular chapter and verse, Ezra 7 and verse 1. The very first verse begins, says, Now after this, after these things had happened and after the temple had been built, in the, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, and actually, the next two or three verses contain many names that are hard to pronounce. But all these are some of the ancestors, understand, of Ezra. But when we come to verse 5, we find this. Continuing that list, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. So we recognize that here it was Ezra, and he was a descendant of the very first chief priest who was Aaron. And Aaron, of course, was the brother of Moses. About almost a thousand years since Aaron and Moses lived until the time of Ezra and uh, Nehemiah. And Ezra traces his lineage all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. Well, who would be a better world changer than somebody that is a descendant of the high, very first high priest descendant of Aaron? But you know, if you're in Christ, you are already part of a royal priesthood. All those who are born into the family of God, we are of a royal spiritual heritage. If you know Jesus, you are a child of the King. Also, we understand that we're called as priests. We have become priests in the kingdom of God and that we have immediate access to God at any time. We can come to the throne and come to Him and we can intercess for others uh, as well and come to the throne of grace. Can I tell you today as we go forward, you are as likely to be one who is used by God as Ezra or as anyone who ever lived. But not only that, we find that Ezra was a scribe. Again, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 says, For Ezra has ha had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra's called a scribe, sometimes called a teacher, but notice the word heart. He was intentional to be in the word, which included at that time the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, and maybe some of the prophets. That word scribe that's used of Ezra sometimes as a teacher means one who studies, interprets, and copies the scripture. He was a student of the Bible. 
if not the leading Bible scholar of his day. Now, can I tell you, you don't have to be a Bible scholar in order to be used by God. But to be used by God and not to be a student of Scripture, not to be in the Bible consistently, will make it a lot less likely. Now, I cannot tell you that God cannot use you if you are not reading your Bible often. But I can tell you, to live your life to the fullest and to follow God's plan for you to change the world around you and for your heart to be in tune requires you hearing from God. All followers of Jesus. Now, these are not in your notes, but you might want to jot some of these down, particularly if you're taking notes. But all followers of Jesus should be characterized by these things. We read and we study God's Word. We read and we study. I, I say this more for emphasis maybe than practicality, but if you decide your life is pretty busy, and most of us are, a lot of us are busy, and maybe you've decided you can only give one hour a week to God. I mean, you've just... you've done the math, all you can give is one hour a week. It may be that you don't want to come to worship. It may be that you want to spend that hour maybe with a group of believers like in Sunday school or a small group or Bible study to where you sit in that hour with others and hearing from others and learning such as that. But if it's true that you can only give one hour a week in worship to God, you may not want to be a part of that small group. What you really may want to do is you may want to decide you're going to spend 10 minutes a day, six days of the week alone with God and reading His Word and listening to Him so that He might be able to change your heart. And I believe if you do, what you'll find, the Lord will change your heart. You'll find out that all, every hour of your day is to be given over to Him. So we read and study. Also, we apply and we do. We, the Bible says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So we recognize that we don't come to Bible study, we don't come to worship, we don't read just so that we might be able to have more knowledge, but... We're here so that we might find the application for our lives. And we teach and share. should be characterized by all followers of Jesus. Yes, you are called to teach. Now, not everyone has the gift of teaching, but everyone who is a follower of the Lord Jesus is to be influencing others in what they have read. So when you come to the Word of God, we read and study. We'll make application for ourselves. And we'll read it so that we might be able to have positive influence on others. Boy, that would make it pretty important if those things are certainly true as well. Listen, we learned from Ezra. Also, changing the world and hearts has something to do with prayer. It has something to do with prayer. Seems like we're going over the basics, don't we? Well, we are. In fact, we're, we're learning from Ezra. Something incredible is about to happen and God's going to use Ezra. And understand God wants to use you. If you're here today, you can know that God wants to use you. Got your Bibles open, perhaps, to be on the screen. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23 says this. Here Ezra is talking. This is before they make their way from Babylon to Jerusalem. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at River Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our gods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and we implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. Ezra's about to make the second group of Israelites take them back to Jerusalem. He knows the temple has been completed. He gives praise to God for the completion of the temple. He gathers the leaders who are going to go back to Jerusalem. His purpose for going there is now to help to 
organized the people to be the covenant people of God to continue in worship. He's carrying more things from Babylon in order that they might be able to be used in worship. This king of Persia, like another couple of pagan kings, they have, he has written a letter and a proclamation that Ezra may take with him uh, so that he might be protected along the way and so that he might go. The king offers a security force of soldiers for a safe journey. It was a long and dangerous trip, 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. But Ezra refuses the security team and says his God will watch over them. Ezra asks the Lord, he prays for a safe journey, and the Lord hears his prayers. We became convinced a long time ago because we've experienced that the Lord gives teenagers to parents in order that it might increase their prayer life. I'm sure there are some other reasons as well, but particularly when they begin to drive, we're praying for a safe journey, whether it's up the block or down the road or even further than that. Here Ezra prays for a safe journey, reminding us to bring our petitions to him. Our everyday matters in all of our needs to him, both big and small. In Ezra chapter 8 and verse 31, Ezra and the team have arrived in Jerusalem. Ezra thanks God for the safe journey and the travels. He says, and he professes the hand of the Lord was on us and delivers from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way, meaning that there are some details that took place on the journey, not just one ambush, but maybe many that took place while they were on their way, but the Lord was with them and God delivered them. He remembered to give thanks and praise to God and they arrived at the temple. What do you think they're going to do when they arrive at the temple, this fairly new temple that's been built? Well, they go in and they worship God. They give all of the supplies that they brought, the things that they had brought from the king and from Babylon to be used in the temple. Then Ezra chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, after this, the temple officials approach Ezra. And Ezra gets the word. Everything's not good. There's something rotten in Jerusalem and in Judah. All the people, it says, and all the priests and the Levites... They've not separated themselves from the people of the land. They've intermarried and taken for themselves foreign wives. Time and time again, people were told when they came into the promised land, they certainly were not to marry the people who were in that land. In fact, they were to rid the land of the people that had lived there so that they would be of a pure faith. Now, this was not a race thing. It was to keep God's people holy and from engaging in worshiping of idols and foreign gods. They were once again becoming like people of the land or the people of the world. Or are you beginning to get a sense of what's going on here? God's people then and now are to be a separate people, not like the world, not worldly, but godly. We're called to be like Christ. What did Ezra do upon hearing of this news? Look at Ezra chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. Ezra chapter 9, in verse 3. As soon as I heard this, he's speaking in first person, I tore my garment and my cloak, pulled hair from my head, and beard set appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I set appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my past fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees spread out my hands to the Lord God. Listen to what he said when he prayed in verse 6. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, saying, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. 
Do you, do you find it interesting as he prays about and confesses the sins of the people, he confesses them as his very own, as Moses did with the Israelites and many of the prophets did for the Israelites. He confessed the sins like they were his sins. These are our sins that he confesses. We would be hard-pressed perhaps to pray about all the sins of the world and ask the Lord to forgive them like they are our own sins, would we not? But when the sins of the world begin to creep into the church, and the church becomes more like the world than it is like God, well, then it becomes personal. And then we are all at fault, and it's our sins too. For now, see the example of Ezra. All followers of Jesus, all who would be world changers, want to have a change of heart. Particularly when it comes to our prayer life, we praise and exalt Him. This is a characteristic of all who are followers of the Lord God. Like Ezra, when they came to the temple and they arrived safely and they worshipped, we bring our petitions and we ask of the Lord about our needs, like Ezra, before and after the journey, for he depended on God. And it was clear that he said he depended on God. All followers of Jesus also repent and confess, like Ezra, who will now spend the rest of this book leading the people to confess, repent of sin, and turn back to God. These are to be a part of our daily prayer life as followers of Jesus. We have uh, two grandchildren who I'll stop talking about probably at some time, but they're ages two and four, and the four-year-old, he likes to talk a lot, and uh, the other day, um, uh, uh, he was his mama, I guess, FaceTimed me while I was here at the church or while I was coming in the door, and so I'm talking to my grandson on FaceTime. Is that what do we call it? Yeah, on the FaceTime. And as we're talking, uh, the lady of the church walks by, and I think she sees me talking. She thinks I might be talking to Jesus, which I do sometimes, even in the hallway. But I said, "Oh, I'm talking to I'm talking to my grandson here. Say hello." And I turn, and they look at one another. And, she says to him, she says, oh, you're so cute. What's your name? My four-year-old grandson, my name is Robert, and I'm the bestest boy in town. I'm not sure where he learned that he was the bestest boy. But now that we've worked on self-image, I guess grammar will be next. But our, the two-year-old, now the two-year-old talks just as much, and, uh, but I can't always, I understand maybe about half of what she says until I'm able to spend a couple of days with her in a row. And then not only am I understanding everything that she says, before long we're having regular conversations that are taking place. Boy, need I say it. If you're not used to being around God much, maybe the once a week kind of thing, or maybe a couple of times, or maybe even not that often, you'll have a hard time hearing or understanding or knowing that God's talking to you or knowing what He is saying until you spend some time with Him. By listening to God through in the Bible and in prayer because His language is not like our language. It's far above us. But all because of the grace of the Lord Jesus, we're able to understand. We're able to have regular conversations. Before long, you'll be know, about, know more about God and hear more than you ever thought possible. Also, we're going to learn from Ezra Changing the worlds and changing hearts has something to do with forgiveness. Has something to do with forgiveness. I do believe for you and I to be used of God, for our hearts to be changed, we must have a better understanding of God's forgiveness. It's freely given to all those who repent, bold, but it is costly. And it was Jesus who paid the price to be forgiven. 
Ezra chapter 9 and verse 2 says, For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the people of the lands, and in this faithlessness the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. Why so serious this sin? Well, because they've been called to be a holy people. And the officials and the chief men have been the foremost sinners. The foreign wives were pulling the people away from God and not vice versa. They were marrying, you understand, not only the women, but for all practical purposes, they were marrying the world and its ungodliness. Men, have you, did you ever hear someone say to you, you know, if you marry the girl, you're going to be marrying the in-laws too. If you marry the girl, you're going to marry the family. Now listen, before we go any further, you need to know have wonderful, wonderful in-laws in case anybody's listening or it gets any further from here. But we recognize the Bible does tell us, even in the New Testament, not to be unequally yoked in marriage for the same reasons. Christians are to marry Christians because it's much more likely for a believing spouse to be led astray. We're just talking Bible here today. Is that okay if we talk about this? What does the Bible say? If you're not married... Your very first concern before even going out on a date should be, is this person a believer in the Lord Jesus? Do they know Christ as their Savior and Lord? If you are married, you're married to someone and your, your spouse is not a Christian, Second Peter gives a very clear direction to says, stay married if at all possible, live before them godly lives so that they, that spouse may be one to the Lord. But the application goes to all who claim Jesus as Lord, regardless if you're married or not, regardless if your spouse is a believer or not. It is don't be married to the world. Don't even date the world. That is, don't let your pursuits be worldly. Only pursue the things of God and not the things which are unholy or not of God. Do we need to mention some of those? In other words, don't pursue power, prestige, or popularity. Unholy personal desires, including how quick you could, how thick you can make your pocketbook. Ah, but when you fail, and we're going to fail, remember God's forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 that says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you comprehend and claim God's forgiveness? Those who do are much more likely to be world changers and have their own heart changed. When a lost person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus, they must repent of their sins. They must ask Jesus into their heart and ask Jesus to forgive them of all of their sins. And when Jesus forgives, He forgives all sins, past, present, and even future sins. This is the only way we can have a real and genuine relationship with Jesus because it's the blood of Christ that covers all of our sins. In a genuine relationship with Jesus, we may not quite understand it or grasp it all, but you can believe it to be true. You come into the family of God, and because all sins have been forgiven, nothing will ever take you out of that family. Heaven, presence of Jesus with you is assured. You might remember that Jesus said to his disciples and all disciples, Lo, I will be with you always. Then he said, but be sure to read the fine print. No, he didn't say that because there was no fine print. Today you can believe and place your trust in Jesus and ask God to forgive you, and he will. And for all who come to Jesus in genuine faith and repentance, you can know that you have a home in heaven and that you have Christ living in you.
And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord today, you have that opportunity because you're in this place and we've sung praises and lifted prayers. We've prayed for all who are here today. We prayed today that someone may come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, as we do every time we get together. Someone listening may as well. For all those who are in Christ, this is the greatest incentive not to marry or date the world In other words, not to pursue the world because you know you've been forgiven. And when we sin, and we will, we claim 1 John 1, 9 immediately, at least daily, so that we can maintain a growing relationship with Him. World changers are not perfect because there's only one who is is perfect, but world changers are forgiven. We also learn from Ezra. Changing the world in hearts has something to do with faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. When Jesus told the parable of the dishonest steward or the dishonest manager, he said in Luke chapter 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Ezra taught the people of the importance of faith and obedience in all things by his words and by his actions. And then an official came to Ezra on his own because of the example of Ezra. We read it a moment ago, Ezra chapter 10 and verse 2. The fellow's name was Shekaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, and addressed Ezra, We've broken faith with our God, have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. wonder how long you paused. He says, but even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. There's hope found in confession and repentance and obedience of God's people. They agreed to put away their... <coughs> foreign wives and commit themselves to the Lord. Look at verse 4. We read it again. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 4. Arise for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Does it seem strange that this sinful official was the one who told Ezra to be strong and lead them in repenting of the Lord? It may remind us perhaps maybe of 900 years earlier when Joshua was about to come into the promised land, he was told by the Lord, told by an angel, and even told by all the people, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, for the Lord God is with you. Maybe Ezra needed encouragement to be the world changer God had called him to be. Maybe you need encouragement today to be faithful and obedient in the small things and in all things God would have you to do. Most things that God would have us to do, we know from God's word. But God reveals more to us through prayer. And when we are faithful, God reveals even more. You know what Ezra did? He got up, put a call out to all the people to come and repent, commit themselves to God. Come to Jerusalem in three days. But look what happened if they did not. Read Ezra chapter 10 and verse 8. It says that if anyone did not come within three days, by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Called all the people that were living in Judah to come to the temple in Jerusalem. If they did not come, they'll lose all of their land, and they will be banned from living in Jerusalem. Notice what happened. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. Wouldn't you? It was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month in verse 9, it says. It would have been around December. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, 
trembling because of this matter and trembling because of the heavy rain. We can imagine there in front of the Temple Mount, there in the open courtyard, the crowded people, they're gathered together and they're trembling in the rain, trembling because of their sins, ready to repent. Let's do just a little bit of application, hopefully a lot. When the Israelites came into the promised land, they were given an inheritance. And the inheritance was the land in which they were able to live in. We make parallels, the New Testament does for us. We talk about the promised land kind of living, which means not necessarily the land that we live in now, but the fact that we're able to walk with Jesus today, to grow with Him, enjoy fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, and peace, and be a light to the world around us. That's kind of a simplified understanding of what it means to live a promised land life. They were to lose the land if they were not faithful and obedient. We may still be people of God, but if we're not faithful and obedient, we lose that promised land type of life and the opportunity to be involved in as a world changer. You remember forgiveness and its importance? I will follow him because I've been forgiven. Are you unable to move forward today, maybe because of a sin in your life or a temptation? Today there's hope. This scripture, because we're reading it today, causes us to think to be sure that we've done something about our sins. Church, we serve a great God. We've seen God at work this past year and the years past. We know that He continues to work in individual lives, the life of this church, many ways in which He has blessed us. But all for us to be able to move forward. If we're married to the world or even dating the world, let's pursue Jesus instead and His will so that we might continue to move forward. All followers of Jesus are characterized because we identify sin, we confess sin, and we change, have a change of action and a change of heart. If you've identified sin in your life and you've confessed it and want to change, which is true repentance, Jesus, by the blood on the cross, has removed our sins and we must take the necessary steps with God's help and under His strength to remove the opportunities and as much as possible even to remove the temptations. For God has said He will provide the way. Let me not leave you in suspense. What did the Israelites do? Ezra chapter 10 verses 11 and 12 says this. It says, Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. Here's the thing. But I want you to be sure to understand the lessons that we have learned from Ezra today. Most of these lessons are not lessons on how to be saved. Most of these are lessons for believers. You cannot be saved by reading your Bible, cannot be saved by praying unless you're praying the sinner's prayer. You can't be saved by being faithful and obedient. But these are characteristics of those who know Christ and want to be world changers and allow God to be able to change our hearts so that we might be able to have, be a fit vessel used by God. But we understand what it is to be saved. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Changing the world and changing hearts has something to do with these things that the Lord begins to work on us, but has everything to do with grace and redemption. Please understand that if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, 
It is by God's grace. It is His free gift that we accept by faith. In fact, that's the only way in which we might be able to know Christ and be able to have a home in heaven. It is that we accept the grace and understand that God has given us this by the, His death on the cross and by the resurrection. And you can come and you can accept Christ today. If you're a believer here today, hopefully you have that understanding that yes, you know that you were saved by grace. Well, guess how we can live? It's only by the grace of God and by His strength and the redemption that He has provided for each one of us. Just as we're saved by grace, we're able to live by grace. He walks with us so that we might be able to have a changed heart and our desires and our hearts might change and that we might be usable vessels for Him. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we've had to be able to come and worship today. We know that you've heard our worship and our praise. We thank you for the prayers that we have lifted, knowing with confidence that you hear every prayer. And now, Father, as we've read and proclaimed your word, we pray, Father, that it may do its good work, that it might work and do what it needs to do to change our hearts. We pray for believers here today, Father, that each one of us that recognize that you want to use us to be a world changer right where we're at, or for you to lead us to where we need to be. Father, may we submit ourselves to you even now. And we pray, Father, that for those who may not know Jesus, that today might be the day of salvation in which they know they can have a home in heaven, might have Christ in their heart today because they've called upon you. Even now, even during this prayer, even as we sing together, Father, may you continue to be at work and do the work, good work that you've called us to do as you are at work in our hearts today. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of commitment, and as we do today, we encourage you to make the commitment that you need to make, whatever the Lord. We're all on a different journey, but if we're believers in Christ, we're on the same journey, and that is that we want to continue to please Him and walk with Him each and every day. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, but you'd like to come and know Him, Talk with one of us about Christ. We'll be standing down here during this song, and you come just stand next to one of us, and we'll be glad to talk to you about your faith. Maybe you need to come for baptism, giving your heart and life to Jesus. Or if you want to come and you want to join the church today, become part of the Parkway Baptist family, just let us know. We'll help you with those next steps. Altar is open, or you come and pray with one of us. As we sing together, you come.